welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Welcome and hello. Today's episode, today's show of The Legal Merry-Go-Round is going to look at three different cases about what are the limits on police action. I have chosen this topic and found cases from our nation's history across the country because this is a very hot topic today, isn't it? With marches and protests and claims across the country of police brutality and police overreacting and claims and cries for the police to be defunded. Well, I'm not about to address those bigger questions, but I am going to share three cases with you that I think you'll find very interesting. And after the break, I'm going to tell you what happened in these cases. So let's hit it. Two undercover police officers in Georgia approached a man when he got out of his car in his driveway, walking to his house. They went over to him, and the testimony varies between a third officer who got there just shortly after and the two police officers and the individual that owned the home walking to his front door as to whether or not the police officers identified themselves as police officers. Everybody agrees they were not in uniform. Okay, so what happens? The guy's walking to his house. The police accost him and tell him that uh, they need to ask him some questions. He resists and starts continuing into his house. uh, And all of a sudden it gets a little physical. The gentleman in uh, question here going to his house starts to run bumps into one of the cops, and the other cop grabs him. So at that point, uh, I don't know if you're a fight fan. Do you remember Mike Tyson biting Evander Holyfield on the ear? Well, famous uh, fight if you're a fight fan. Well, this guy bit the officer's finger. He didn't have any weapons. He was just using his hand and his hands and his teeth. So when all the facts came out, believe it or not, the police officers were found guilty of illegal arrest and unlawful assault. So you're going to wonder if that verdict held up on the appeal, and I'm going to tell you. This is a case where the question really becomes, is resisting arrest by use of physical force against police officers allowable? Is it appropriate? Is it legal where the officers initiate the violent altercation? Oh, I guess I should have told you I didn't leave out this pertinent fact. I left out this pertinent fact in my description. 
one of the police officers, after the guy bumped into the cop, I said the other cop grabbed him. So technically the first touching was the guy running past the cop and bumping into him. But the real concept here is that the other police officer grabbed the guy. So is this guy's resisting legal? Is it legal? Now, the court, the trial court, found the police officers guilty of illegal arrest and unlawful assault. So there was an appeal, and I'm going to share with you after the break what happened. I'm going to move west to Nevada, where we have an individual who has been convicted of battering a police officer and resisting arrest. Police officers were dispatched to a home on a domestic violence in progress call. So what happens, the police officers get to the home, they arrived at the scene and the husband uh, assaulted and engaged in a scuffle with the responding police officer. The husband actually had been throwing things against the wall in the house and had not been physically assaulting his wife. When the police arrived, it seems that the husband is actually out in the parking lot of the apartment complex where they live, and he spoke to the police. After the woman threw out the husband's things, like on the front door, out the front patio, whatever it was, he threw many of his personal belongings out of the door. He went back into the house. This is while the police are there. And the officers told him uh, that they wanted to come in. So he blocks the doorway. He didn't invite the cops in. The wife, the victim, if you will, did not invite the cops in. But a police officer attempts to enter the apartment and was shoved by the defendant, and then a real scuffle ensued. So at the trial, uh, the husband tries to assert uh, that he was reasonably resisting an unlawful entry into his home. The trial court didn't agree and refused to uh, give an instruction of law to the jury that it was an an unreasonable uh, effort on his part, uh, resisting uh, what he claimed was an unlawful entry. This is a very interesting case how this turns out. I can't wait to tell you about it after the break. So from Nevada, I'm going to crisscross back across the United States and go to a, a New York case. This was very interesting. This is actually not that long ago. The FBI uh, put a listening and recording device on a public phone booth. Now, we know it was a little bit more than not too long ago, because really, are there any more public phone booths? Seems like everybody today has a cell phone and they use those. Remember 20, putting 25 cents into the phone booth and uh, uh, then the operator breaks in, you need to deposit 50 cents more, whatever it might have been. Well, so the FBI had reason to believe that this particular gentleman uh, was involved in illegally gambling, in illegal gambling and making bets uh, from this particular public phone booth. So they placed electronic listening and recording devices 
uh, on the outside of the booth and were only able to hear and record this guy's end of the conversation. So at trial, the defendant objected to the introduction of the evidence of the telephone conversation. The trial court allowed the evidence. They said that this was not a violation of what is called the Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable searches and seizures. Nobody alleges, everybody agrees that the cops uh, only put these devices in. They didn't come in. They didn't arrest him in the booth. They didn't touch him. In fact, they were nowhere near the booth. They were across the street using their, you know, their technology to listen to what he was saying. So here, what are the limits on what police can do? Can they rig up a telephone booth and listen to your conversation? I'm going to give you the answer when we come back. Well, okay then. We're not going to the break quite yet. I just wanted to share with you something that I thought was absolutely, well, you judge for yourself. I don't have to give it an adjective. In 1991, yeah, I know this is a long time ago, but I found this. This is just beyond. This guy sues Anheuser-Busch for $10,000, claiming that they had falsely advertised the scene of beautiful women and men enjoying themselves while drinking beer. He was so upset when he discovered that that type of lifestyle was not a reality from merely drinking beer. You know, I think maybe when he filed the lawsuit, he had been drinking quite a lot of beer. Well, okay, as I'm sure you can imagine, the case was dismissed. All right, so now we're going to go to the break. Just wanted to share with you. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're back. Here we are. Let's just get right to it because these are really interesting things, particularly in today's world. The limits on police actions, the limits, what can police do, what can they not do? 
Georgia case where the guy bit the cop's thumb. I gave you a lot of the facts earlier in the first half of the show. This case, I think, was decided correctly, but the court in its decision provided inconsistent reasoning. And I'm going to share that with you. Again, the legal merry-go-round, kind of like that Forrest Gump movie, box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, so you remember this. The police are there trying to arrest the guy. They're not in uniform. Everybody agrees. They accost the guy. He takes and bites the thumb of one of the cops. Certainly, that's pretty radical, pretty violent. I guess that hurt for a little while, if I uh, can only imagine how painful that might have been. And the testimony was that he wasn't letting go. I mean, it was like a dog with a bone. You're just not letting go of it. So the cop eventually punches the guy in the face. Now, the guy is arrested. He's eventually taken down, booked, fingerprinted. Thank goodness the cop didn't have to get fingerprinted because he probably wouldn't have been able to put his thumb on the fingerprint fingerprint pad. Okay, so the guy is arrested and he's convicted. The court overturned the trial court's decision. So ultimately, this gentleman was convicted of nothing. No assault charges uh, stuck to him. Uh, no uh, battery charges stuck to him. The court concludes, I'll give you the big answer first, and then go back to their actual decision, what they wrote in their decision. The court concludes the guy had the right to defend himself, basically, when two people that he thought were just guys, he didn't know they were cops, were assaulting him and trying to take him somewhere. There was no police car. They were not in police uniforms. Of course, there's conflicting testimony, but I guess the court decided that they believed the gentleman who was arrested that he didn't know they were cops. Here's what makes me scratch my head. The court said that whether or not the guy arrested believed these people to to be police officers doesn't matter. Then they go on to say that the officers engaged in an illegal arrest and they initiated the assault. Okay, I can follow that. They had they were initiating an illegal arrest and they initiated the assault. But where they said the defendant believed that these were not police officers, that's not important. Well, I beg to differ. I think it's highly important as to what this individual's state of mind was. If these are police, chances are there's no violence that takes place either direction. Certainly, if they were in uniforms and they had guns out. Well, that wasn't the case. It wasn't that much of an escalated situation. But this just absolutely floors me. The guy didn't believe they were cops, and he was basically trying to protect himself. And yeah, he went a little overboard and biting the finger, biting the thumb. But nonetheless, the police, according to this court on appeal, um, were the ones who initiated this and 
did what they refer to as conduct an illegal arrest. I think the right outcome, but I think the court was kind of talking out of both sides of its mouth in this decision. The second case that I mentioned, this case coming out of Nevada, cops are driving down the street. They hear on their radio domestic violence in progress uh, report, and they go to the place. And again, if you remember, the husband is out in the parking lot when they first arrive. While they're all there, the husband and the cops, the wife starts throwing the stuff of the husband out of the apartment. He goes back in or starts to go back in. And when he gets to the front door, he won't let the cops in. Is this appropriate? The court looked at something that goes all the way back to England and English law, something called the castle doctrine, the castle doctrine. What does that mean? Well, it's basically my home is my castle. I can defend it. I can stay in here and do anything I want as long as it's basically legal. And if I don't want you coming in, you can't. I am the, I am the king of the castle. You can't come in. The court's decision here, eh, not so much, husband. Domestic violence, reasonable belief something's going on. Neighbors apparently called in, hearing thuds against the wall, consistent with what they learn later is that the husband is throwing things against the wall. He never touches the wife, which is a good thing, I guess. But they hear yelling and screaming the neighbors, so they call the cops. And the cops are appropriately and reasonably concerned about the well-being of the wife and potentially anybody else that's in the home. So when the husband says, no, you can't come in and starts physically, you know, touching them, pushing them and not letting them in, he's arrested and appropriately convicted. The last case in New York, this was the one about the FBI uh, putting listening and recording devices on a public phone booth. And the reason they did that is because they believed that this guy using the phone booth was conducting illegal gambling activity. He was making bets from this public phone booth. And they had reason to believe that because they had been following him and he's always in and out of this phone booth. And so, you know, they go there and they now want to really get the goods on them and they put up these listening devices. So is this legal or is this a violation of this gentleman's Fourth Amendment constitutional rights against unreasonable search and seizure. Unreasonable search and seizure. What's being seized here? What's being seized is his voice. Did he have an expectation of privacy in this closed phone booth on a public street? Well, he certainly had no expectation of privacy as to that he was there who he was, what he looked like, because it's glass all around this public phone booth. But he was expecting that his conversation was private. That's why the door was closed, so nobody could hear. He is convicted. Trial court says, nah, no expectation of privacy, no violation of your constitutional rights against unreasonable searches and seizures. Conviction. The guy appeals, the gambler appeals, goes up to the higher court in the state, and his conviction is overturned. The court says that 
The Fourth Amendment right to privacy protects people. The case here, uh, the government contended that the gambler's use of a see-through booth meant that he was still just as visible inside the booth as outside, no expectation of privacy. However, the court noted that the gambler wasn't trying to get away from, we'll call it, intruding eyes. Instead, he was just fleeing the uninvited ear. So his use of a glass phone booth with a closed door didn't publicize his conversation, only his appearance. Even though the agents restrained themselves and did not unnecessarily invade his physical privacy, they based their actions on their belief that he would return to the same phone booth where he had been numerous times before. Court wasn't buying it. Because searches conducted without judicial process are per se unreasonable. So what would have made this a reasonable search if they had gotten a warrant? Okay, well, so there you have it. We have three different cases that go in different directions on what the police can and what the police cannot do. This is a very interesting time that we're in in our nation's history with the most intensive eyes looking at police. Now, many, many jurisdictions across the United States have these body cams and they have them on their cars. And as you may imagine, there are fights in courtrooms by defense lawyers defending alleged criminals looking to see the body cams. And sometimes these body cams uh, are given right away. And sometimes there's a fight over whether they should be given to the defense to potentially exonerate their clients. A lot of really interesting stuff. In my view, this is not going to resolve itself anytime soon. There's going to constantly be challenges. Police are going to be constantly uh, looked at in a much more intense way. And I think that's a good thing. But I also absolutely appreciate the need to stop crime and to protect the public. So there's always two sides to the argument. And there we have it, folks, the legal ups and the legal downs, the legal merry-go-round. I hope you stay safe. I hope you act in a way that others will love you and that you will then love yourself because you've acted in that way, doing the right thing, always trying to help people and not getting into the legal merry-go-round. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.